Welcome to the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast, where it's all about, you guessed it, grant writing and funding made easy so you can increase capacity, grow funding, and advance your nonprofit or freelance mission. Now, let's hand it over to your host, grants expert and author Holly Rustic, so you can increase your funding and drive impact. Hello, hello, hello. It's Holly Rustic here at Grant Writing and Funding, and welcome to another episode of the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast, where every week we help you grow capacity, increase funding, and to advance mission of the nonprofit you're working within as a grant writer or with the many different nonprofits you work with as a freelance grant writer. And our spicy belief here at Grant Writing and Funding is that every single grant writer should open a business, even if that's a side hustle. Just having one open and available for you will give you confidence. Even if you never leave your job, you're gonna have confidence in asking for a raise. You're gonna have confidence in in potentially moving up in the hierarchy of nonprofit because you also have business skills. It is amazing. And you can make some extra money on the side because you can take a client on here and there, especially as we're getting into the holiday season. And of course, you can also go full-time as a freelance grant writer and make five to six figures every single year. And we can help you get there through our Freelance Grant Writer Academy. We do have the waitlist open for the Freelance Grant Writer Academy, which is a 12-month program that gives you all of the resources, the coaching, and the community to write better grants We even have grant reviews included and to learn the entire grant writing process and to learn how to open a business, how to price and market and sell your services so you can do it easily and you can make money on the side or full time. Join the changemakers in the Freelance Grant Writer Academy by signing up to our waitlist at grantwritingandfunding.com. And of course, while you're there, please make sure to join our Hub Haven, which gives you access to all of our freebies, our grants formula, our five-step checklist, to start a freelance grant writing business and our top 10 tips to position your nonprofit for funding and so much more. Plus, you'll get an email from us every single week with a stress-free nugget about grant writing. Yes, it's what you need. Absolutely. And we'll include our podcast of the week in there too and any other webinars or things that we have going on or that we curate specially for you. You can check that out at grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 296. That is with all of the show notes for today's podcast as well. So today on the podcast, we have Elvis Moreland. And just on a side note, if you're hearing some background noise here, we are having a tropical storm watch slash typhoon watch. Like there's typhoon going quite north, a little bit north of us. Now it's very more north, thankfully, but they're still closing all of the typhoon shutters around here. <laughs> I literally can't. And we're trying to like get their rusty typhoon shutters uh, closed. <laughs> so that, that's what you hear. Okay, so Elvis Moreland is going to be talking about data security and privacy risk. And we're going to be talking about what nonprofits can do about this. Now, I know a lot of you might not really be thinking about data risk as contingencies to put into your nonprofit. But the thing is, is Elvis, he's going to actually give some examples of how nonprofits have had cyber break-ins and have lost all of their funding. This is a real thing. And we talk also about like not having irrational fear around this, but actually just knowing what's going on. So then you can mitigate things. Right. So Elvis is an award winning senior executive and subject matter expert in cyber risk management and cybersecurity laws governing the private, public and nonprofit sectors. 
He has 30 years of experience and he has a ton of credentials. So we'll definitely have his bio over on the website today in the show notes. Um, and you can see all of that. So it is really interesting how Elvis has actually kind of uh, honed in with the nonprofits because he started seeing so much risk going on and so much a break in for funds. Because think about it, nonprofits get donations, they get grants, they get all types of funding. And how secure is their data really, right? How secure is all of their funding? So this has been a way that um, unfortunately people have gone around to uh, get funding from nonprofits and break in and hack. So he's gonna be saying, once again, we're not trying to spread fear here, we're trying to spread awareness on ways that you can mitigate it um, so you're just not panicking or you don't know really what to do or any of that, right? So we're gonna to get to the bottom of that today and um, we have a great conversation and tips to mitigate any kind of data breaching going on. So this is a great episode as we're um, in our Q4 and you know, getting to the holidays, getting to where a lot of you are going to actually raise a lot of your money for the, the year during your end of your campaign. So I want you to be able to protect that money and so does Elvis and be able to spend it on your nonprofit. So that's what we'll be talking about today. So definitely take notes, go and get to the show notes, grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 296. And before we begin, support for this episode is brought to you by our friends at Bloomerang. Bloomerang offers donor management, online fundraising, and volunteer management software that helps small to medium nonprofits like First Tee of Greater Akron. After just one year with Bloomerang, First Tee of Greater Akron doubled their unique donors, improved donor stewardship, and raised more funds. To hear the full story, visit bloomerang.com, and that's B-L-O-O-M-E-R-A-N-G.com forward slash grant writing podcast. And here's the thing, by using tools like Bloomerang, that can also help mitigate any kind of cyber threats if you're using some kind of protected online software versus just a Google Drive, right? versus something that's not secure. That's something you can also talk about with Bloomerang. All right, so let's get back to our podcast episode today with Elvis. Here you go. So super excited to have you on the podcast today. Welcome, Elvis. Thank you, Holly. Yeah, yeah, you're welcome. So I'm really excited because your wife, Kim, is in one of my programs as well. So really excited that she was like, hey, you have to have my husband on because he's going to talk about cybersecurity and nonprofits, and he works with nonprofits. So thank you for coming on again. Holly, it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Um, one one sector that's really critical for the United States and across you know the globe is the nonprofit sector, uh, mm-hmm. but it is hugely underserved when it comes to cybersecurity. So definitely, that's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, and I, I love your background as well. You have so much. You know, you're award-winning senior executive, subject matter expert in cyber risk management and cybersecurity laws. So I know you're definitely going to be talking about some of that today and dropping some links. So definitely go to the show notes, you guys, for these links, because there's some free information you can get on cybersecurity. Um, And you have 30 years of experience in information security, privacy, risk management, et cetera. So you're the one that can really like bring a lens to this. And when you're talking about like nonprofits specifically, why are nonprofits a little bit more at risk, you think, than maybe private industry? Are they just not thinking about it as much or, you know, like they, they don't have things in place as much or protocols that they follow as much when it comes to cybersecurity? Like what are some reasons that maybe they're a little bit more at risk? I've seen two primary reasons that really contribute to uh, security risk and elevator risk for nonprofits. One 
there is the assumption that we're too small to be hacked. Mm -hmm. And that assumption is really, really a bad assumption. Uh, now, 20 years ago, you could say that because yeah. a lot of the hackers were doing it themselves. They were, you know, analyzing websites. They were doing it manually. Today, mm -hmm. that is no longer the case. Uh, so that that myth and that fallacy of thinking has led a lot of nonprofits to think, well, we're okay uh, in terms of budgeting. We, we, we'll, if we have a problem, then we'll just add it to the budget and we'll find some funding later. But right. historically speaking, uh, nonprofits have not set aside budget line items for IT or, and or security, which are separate. They right. are separate issues. And those budget line items really have to be addressed going forward. And we'll talk about that today. Okay, great. Because that's really interesting that you said they're too, they think they're too small. Like one of the things, yes. is there anything that is too small, you think, or do you think no? Okay. And is that because now this is what really piqued my interest. What you said is uh, hackers used to do it themselves, but they're not anymore. Are they using like AI or certain technologies then to be hacking? So is that kind of what the difference is? Is, is that what The past is? decade have used a lot of automated tools. Now, AI is, is becoming an issue. There is fraud, uh, GBT. There, there are a lot of AI capabilities now that are coming to bear for hackers. But in the previous decade, a lot of the hackers engineered their own robotic automations. So they used robots and they used uh, a, a lot of networks that they could go out and lease to send out uh, just kind of scans to find out who's out there, who's responding. So if you had a presence on the internet, if your laptop was on the internet and it responded to one of these scans, then it started talking to that response and it started figuring out what you are and who you are and what your vulnerabilities are. So it could be automated for the past decade or so, and it, it could be very, um, very, very automated in terms of the attack, the attack mechanisms as well. But today, now that we start talking about AI and AI technologies, those that automation can go to the next level. Right, right. And as far as um, nonprofits, then again, like what should they really be protecting the most? Is it to do with their funding? information on their clients like you know what is there any way that they can prioritize some of this or like what they how they should think about security in general it really starts at the board the board okay. should be aware of what data that that the organization is housing that they're collecting that they're using and the sensitivity of that data so if it's personal data especially if you're in one of the 12 states that have privacy laws then you should be protecting that personally identifiable information, PII, to, to a level that, that meets the state criteria. And, and uh, that could be a number of things. And, you know, anyone in your audience can email me and we can talk about it later. But today, what I would caution is if you're in one of those states, those 12 states, and they're going to grow to over 25 to 30 in the next two to three years, those states are going to drive privacy protections for any organization. Mm -hmm. And it's not just the large ones or the medium ones. It's any organization that's collecting personal information. So that's one thing, personal information. Two, uh, any data that can, that can really impact the organization on a grand scale. 
So if you have intellectual property, if you have funding information, your banking information needs to be protected, you know, because a lot of fraud is out there, social engineering and fraud, they will they will convince your accounting people, accounting team, hey, we need it, we need to check, but don't send it to this account that you know, send it to another account. And that's called business e email compromise. And they start impersonating individuals. It could be the executive director. It could be the chairman of the board. You know, you just don't know how they're going to gather information on your organization and then impersonate those people to get you to send money someplace. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, I've seen that a little bit through Sam, right? So not to say that they've been, but they've been hacked right before. So the federal government systems awards management system, Sam, and, you know, all nonprofits, if you want to get a federal grant, you have to go through the SAM process to get a cage for right. right for grants. And I have seen like um, they've sent out a lot. SAM itself has sent out a lot of emails to say, hey, have you received an email? And they're asking to charge you to set up your account. That is yeah. a scam, right? And it looks very official. It looks right. very similar, right? So there might be just something very small and odd. So I always tell people it's always free. It's always free. It's always free. Like don't, you know, exactly. Whatever, exactly. right. But I mean, are those the kind of things that they're kind of those kind of scams that are out there? And are there other ones that are very like a little bit more mainstream that people could be aware of? I'm going to talk to you about a little about uh, some, some data that we found so far that's historically been tracked and, and reported. Typically, if you are a victim of fraud, they have tried whoever they are. They could be a number of different groups, scammers, criminal networks, uh, and they are very well organized. They are very patient. They will try for six to seven weeks to learn who your critical pe uh, personnel are, your leadership, your board of directors. If, if they find that you're vulnerable, that makes you a target. So that scanning that happens on the internet, oh, they're vulnerable. Well, mm -hmm. how else are they vulnerable? Do they have poor processes? Do they have poor you know, policies in place? controls. So that's what the, that's what's going to open up that door to them to analyze your organization and start digging for information on that organization, which would make you even more vulnerable if you don't have tight controls. So there's a number of different ways that these criminal enterprises can take advantage of you. One, technically, they can, you know, lock up your, your devices. If your devices and your website is uh, vulnerable, they're not well patched, uh, they're not up to date, then yeah, they can ransomware those devices or two, they can start digging and impersonating, you know, leadership within an organization and try to find out who's got the checkbook and where can I get the money from? So they could be going to your funding services, et cetera, like to do that. Exactly. And, and I know there's a lot of security kind of tied in, especially federal grants, because there's, you have to go through the same process. You have to go through exactly. a certain system to draw down funds, but they could be maybe getting involved in that, right? So it is to say there could be some safeguards that aren't in place. So really to start at your board level, like you said, and say, okay, what type of information or do we have a lot of grants? Okay, are those really secure, right? And like your banking information, I would imagine would be, like you said, one of the big ones. Who are we sharing that with all, all of the things, right? How can they also like safeguard it just a little bit more? Like they might be like, well, we don't know if it's weak. We don't know if it's strong. You know what I mean? Like, do you have a kind of a checklist or some things that you can share with that? There are some that? checklists that I'll be glad to share with uh, with the audience. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll share that after the, after this broadcast or as part of the broadcast uh, uh, takeaways. But yeah, there are some free, uh, free, and I will emphasize free resources 
for you to follow in terms of checklists. Um, but overall, if I were to give you some some advice, I'd say, okay, involve your board in this discussion going forward. If they have not been briefed on your cybersecurity status, they need to be briefed going forward as of today. Uh, beyond that, let you know, letting people know that, hey, we need to identify the, the sensitive data that we have and what we're doing to protect it. So we have personal information, we've got funding information, we've got grant information, and th that is sensitive now going forward. Don't share that with anyone. Don't send that out on your email. So we're going to start controlling that going forward. And beyond that, I, I would say consider um, engaging with an independent party, um, some someone like myself, who's not going to charge you a lot of money, but could take a look at your security program from the top bottom and uh, give you a really good assessment of where we think we, where you think you are versus where you actually are and mm -hmm. and identify some weaknesses that you probably need to put in the budget going forward protect the organization and protect the revenue of the organization mm -hmm. yeah i mean i could even see this like you know because a lot of uh, nonprofits get donors and other yeah. websites and things like that. So just like, how do you protect your donor's information as well, right? Exactly. Um, and how do they know that's secure? Like if they, you know, if they're all of a sudden giving to you as a nonprofit to know that you're not, they're not going to, you're not going to share that information with other nonprofits or whatever. So they would, you know, solicit them. Um, so those types of things in place. But you also mentioned uh, there's certain number of states that have certain protocols in place and you should, you know, set your, your should align with those standards. Um, where can they find out? Like, if they don't know if their state is one of those or what those standards are, is there a place that they can go to find that out? First thing I would recommend is go to the state attorney general's uh, website and just look for the privacy laws for your state. Beyond that, uh, you can engage with me. I can actually share with you a list of states that uh, do have privacy laws on the books today and those states that are pending. So there right. are a number of states, there are 12 now, there are at least 12 to 14 that are pending in the next year to, to two years that will have privacy laws as well. Um, but yeah, staying on top of that, you really probably, if you're a multi-state you know, nonprofit, which some are, the, mm -hmm. that could be nationwide nonprofits, then uh, engaging with someone like myself probably would make sense. You know, right. we'll, we'll help you keep track of those laws, address them when they come out. But if you're just a local regional nonprofit, I would just say, check with your attorney general's office and, and just verify with them, hey, what kind of laws do we have in terms of protecting our client data? Right. Because I know way back in the day, several years ago, when GDPR for Europe came in for their data protection, we actually have a podcast on that, so I'll share it in the uh, show notes. But that was a big thing as well. Are these state, uh, you know, kind of standards, are they aligning with more of that GDPR uh, standards as well? Yeah. So historically, uh, you, you might try to do something special about GDPR, but I will tell you from firsthand experience, that if you go with the NIST risk management framework, that is a free framework for any taxpayer in America. In fact, people around the globe use that standard, that risk management framework to implement the right controls. And it's it's irrefutable. I mean, it's immutable in, ter in terms of court 
or any kind of uh, you know case that might come against you, uh, because it will meet or exceed state level requirements as well as national level requirements like GDPR. Okay. Okay. So those are they're a little bit more. Would you say a little more stringent than the U.S. laws that are getting put in? Um, they're a little bit more comprehensive. I wouldn't say stringent. But they're definitely more comprehensive in terms of completeness and uh, a really full picture of controls that you would be able to put in place according to the needs of your your, your organization. So if you don't have uh, a lot of complex technology, then some of the controls are, are not going to apply. Right. But the basics will apply. Like, you know, do you have disaster recovery? You know, do you have backups, mm -hmm. uh, business continuity planning? You know, these are these are items that really any nonprofit should be addressing because it makes sense. You right. provide critical services, then you need really need a business continuity plan. You need disaster recovery plans. So that should be part part and parcel of everything that you do. Right. And, and just to give us some context, then, because you've worked with so many nonprofits and organizations on this. Have you, can you share a couple of uh, case studies then for nonprofits and how you've addressed this and, and what their, uh, you know, what the issues were? One thing that I would really like to bring out in terms of um, uh, dealing with, you know, cyber risk in nonprofits, we have seen those nonprofits that have health related services, you know, social services in, in the, in the, uh, of the public. Really fall victim to some serious ransomware attacks, and uh, so that's one one example. And I'll I'll share with you St. Margaret's Health Center, St. Margaret's Health Network in Illinois. They had experienced a ransomware attack, so that's a technical attack, and it it affected their medical record system to the mm -hmm. point where they could no longer bill for services. And that lasted for two years. And because of that impact to their operations and their ability, ability to um, maintain revenue, they had to shutter uh, the, the, the hospital, one main hospital. And I think they're going to shut down that small network altogether. Um, I think the step is uh, the state has tried to step in to assist and try to help and maybe you know bring in new ownership. But that's a huge impact for a nonprofit especially in providing uh, critical services to the public, mm -hmm. in which a lot of nonprofits do. They provide a lot of critical services mm -hmm. to the public. Uh, so that's a technical attack that has impacted a nonprofit and actually caused them to shut, shut their mm -hmm. doors. And what were they looking for? Uh, the hackers that came in, they were looking for like the financial information of the clients? Is that kind of what it was looking for? Or? No, for that that case, they weren't looking for financial information. Now they could take it because they did have control of the computers, but they just asked for a ransom. That's all they asked for. So they literally were like, we need a payout of this or we're gonna yeah. keep shutting down? You need, Whoa, you need to pay whatever. us. And then we'll give you the keys back to your information, to your data. And um, the network for one reason or another St. Margaret's, you know, just didn't cooperate or they didn't pay that ransom or they were advised by law enforcement not to pay it. In some cases, that does happen. Yeah. Um, it, it, it really turned against them in the, mm -hmm. in the long run. In some cases, you know, ransomware is paid and then uh, not all of your data is, is unencrypted. 
you know, they give you keys to the, unencrypt that data, and, but still, you know, they want they want to come back for more. Um, so it it is a huge problem. You know, any criminal enterprise can you really trust? You know what they you know what they say they're going to do. Uh, so in some cases, and this is what I've seen, you know, in, in double extortion, they will gain the res, uh, the ransom, you know, from the victim, and then. Uh, they have copies of the information, so they'll go they'll go sell it. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, they they've they've gained you know fifty forty fifty thousand dollars off of the victim, and now they're going to go make another you know ten twenty thousand dollars off of selling that personal information. So and then you have an impact to your customer base, which you know identity theft is an issue. Um, you know, cr- creating a huge problem for your clients and uh, impacting the trust and reputation of your organization, how much is the trust and reputation of any nonprofit worth? You know, it, 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 it's really critical to maintain a good reputation in, in your community. Mm-hmm. Um, that covers one, you know, one case study. Mm-hmm. That was a technical attack, you know, built on ransomware. Well, right. let me talk to you about another case study, a food bank. They were engaged with building a new warehouse and new facilities with a con- construction company. And the criminal enterprise came in. They were monitoring the network. And many times criminals will do that. Cyber criminals will monitor your network and take a look at your emails. They'll be in there for months and they're gathering information about who does what, who has uh, you know, signing, signing uh, authority for the checkbook. Mm-hmm. And this is what happened. They found out who the CFO was. They sent an email. They said, hey, we need to pay our construction company, send a check for $923,000 to this account mm-hmm. right away. Go ahead and send a wire. We need to get them paid because they're in the process of building uh, this facility for us. Right. And that happened. Guess what? That was a fraudulent transfer mm-hmm. of money uh, that was wired to a criminal enterprise, criminal network. And they walked away with not, you know, $923,000 of that food bank's money. Do you think you, you know, food bank could recover from that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that it's, it's horrible. Yeah. But, you know, a criminal does not have a moral compass. That's why right. they are a criminal. Mm-hmm. That's awful. I mean, just those different examples, um, you know, and I've even seen it at universities. I remember the the president got hacked and was sending out yeah. these emails and everyone was like, this doesn't exactly sound like him. Why okay. is he asking? And he's like, oh, no, it got hacked. Right. And it's just like really interesting that they go to the top level in a lot of ways, but that's because yeah. they can yeah. make things happen. Right. And that is interesting, though, for them to watch and kind of see like how they write or how they do things or what's going on. Like there is this thing being built and they do need to pay this. You know what I mean? So they're kind of like getting ahead of it. So that's really scary um, on that. And the, and just like, how do you avoid that kind of thing? That is it more of like what's on secure on the back end for people even entering into your um, email accounts or that sort of thing? So there's a number of different ways to address it. One, I say right away, okay, at the board level on down, you know, board and the ED, you you need to establish good processes. We're not going to send transfers out, you know, wire money. We're not going to do that. We're going to, we're going to send out a cashier's check to a known address that we verify and then we'll send it overnight. You know, so 24 hour processing of checks, that's still acceptable today. You don't need the money right now in an instant. No. You know, especially for some vendors, they're okay. 
They'll yeah. do net 20 or they'll do net 30. Even some will yeah. do net 60 days mm-hmm. for you to pay their, those bills. So take some time to establish a good process and good controls. They mm-hmm. don't need to be instant. There, there's no need to do an instant wire transfer today when you can do that overnight with a cashier's check to a known address. Hey, this is our vendor. And I know that they are, you know, they're, they're operating out of this office at this address and we can send it to them and they can cash that check tomorrow versus sending a wire to that tonight. Okay. So having those SOPs, those protocols really built in. Exactly. Just deal with those types of situations. Like this is how right. we follow it. Yeah. And I, I, I like that, you know, this is because for that too, it's, you know, what I'm hearing is there's a lot of fear associated with cybersecurity, right? And and for valid reasons, because all of a sudden we're, oh my gosh, we're hearing ransom, we're hearing this, like, oh my goodness, right? So it might cause people to panic a little bit, which I don't think is necessarily healthy, but there is obviously some type of healthy fear associated with this too, just to prepare so you prevent or mitigate any of this. So can you kind of talk about that a little bit? You know, like what is that healthy, how can you be healthy about this and have this healthy fear of preparation? Sometimes I feel like a counselor when I come in and I sit down and talk to the board and I talk to the senior leadership because it really is about addressing what you said, fear. It's fear yeah. of the unknown. It's fear of doubting ourselves. Hey, are we doing the right thing? Uh, you know, are we going to get caught? Are we going to get sued? Are we going to get in trouble? And I'm like, look, so let's stop, you know, fretting about fear and let's start talking about the issue. That's the best thing you can do. This needs to be a quarterly discussion point with the board, and it needs to be at least a monthly discussion point with the senior leadership, senior leadership team. <clears throat> Excuse me. And if you're talking about it, it's easier for you to address the issue if something does happen. You know, over the Labor Day weekend, you know, we okay, we've talked about this for six months. What's our plan? You know, what's our standard operating procedure to address some some sort of event that happens that we need to, you know, uh, protect ourselves. So but if you never talk about that until the event happens, then people are running scared. They're running like chickens with their head cut cut off. Oh, my God, what are we going to do? Oh, my God, what are we going to do? Let's go. Let's go bring in independent consultants. Let's go spend money. And we have no preparation. We have nothing in place. So we are just at a loss. That is the that is not the best way to go. Mm-hmm. You really need to talk. You need to be prepared. Let's talk about standard operating procedures. And then when you do sit down and talk to someone like myself, we'll talk about, okay, what are some of the technical controls? You've got process, you've got management policies, you've got operational processes, standard mm-hmm. operating procedures. Now let's talk about some of the technical, you know, uh, safeguards we can take a look at. Get off Gmail. <laughs> Let's just say that right now. Get off of Gmail. Go to Office 365. Microsoft has got you know one of the largest security presence in the world, and they are protecting their customers. So if you're a Microsoft customer, they're going to protect you. Mm-hmm. Start using their Outlook. Start using their emails. That's an option for you to consider, okay. and, and one that I would put out you know, for any board to consider and the senior leadership team to, you know, mull over and say, hey, look, what what can we do to protect ourselves? Well, I would start from a technical perspective. Hey, let's let's find a good vendor to manage our email for us and protect us from that one attack vector. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so that's good just to have this healthy level of looking at it. And part of that is just yeah. being prepared and building out um, operations and SOPs just like you would with anything else in your nonprofit's operations, right? So to really look at it and just that this is just a part of it. We don't have to come into this be like, oh my gosh, and freaking out. But like to really right. think about these things can happen. They do happen. What are How are we protecting our, our donors? How are we protecting our clients? How are we protecting our funding? How are we protecting our reputation, right? All of that, our information. Yeah. So, and then breaking those things down to look at how we can best do that. So I, I do love that approach. It feels like good because a lot of this, like, you know, it can freak people out and then just have throw them in a tizzy, right? Or have them in like, no, that doesn't happen. So I'm not going to look about that because I don't want to think about it because <laughs> that can happen too. I imagine exactly. you have denial, right? But so now just let's go ahead and wrap up now because this has been a lot of really great tips and I know you also are sharing some great downloadables. So you guys definitely go to the show notes for this. And you've also mentioned if people want to work with you. So where can people, they might be like, I don't really know where to start. I would love to look at what some of those operation manuals or SOPs could be or like how we can start this as a process with our board. Um, where can people find you? So my website is Blue Siren and it's CY spelled with a C-Y, C-Y-R-E-N, so blue, the color blue, and then C-Y-R-E-N, bluesiren.com. You can find me there, and there is a, a link where you can you know, send an email to info at bluesiren, or you can email me directly at cso at bluesiren.com. Okay, so great. So definitely you guys check out the show notes, grab the links. Um, if you're interested more in how you can really position your nonprofit or your nonprofit consultancy with setting up some of these procedures so you can avoid cyber, or you can really be strong, I guess, with your cybersecurity um, and avoid any type of pitfalls, right, that you might have. Um, and just in the future, too, I imagine this is just going to get more and more complex as we move forward. Um, ChatGPT now, like we mentioned, like all the different things are just AI in general. Like there's a lot more ease potentially for people to be looking for your information. Um, so this is just something, if you build it now, you're going to set yourself up with a stronger foundation, right? So anything else that you want to add to kind of close out of, as people are thinking about this? Well, Holly, I think number one, really more than anything, is start talking about it. Start talking about the issue. You yeah. know, when you start talking about it, you can add to the conversation. People like myself who can give you some really good advice. But as long as the ED and the board never talk about cybersecurity, they're in the dark. And when it does happen, when it does raise its ugly head, now people are in shock. So avoid the shock, develop some good conversation, develop good standard operating operating procedures, like you said. And, you know, when you're ready to address technical issues, then bring in a techni technical expert. But for yourself and for your organization, start talking about it today. Okay. And I like what you said earlier, too. Not only talk about it, but definitely talk about it, right? But let's talk about budgeting for some yes. of this, too. There needs right? to I think be, that's really important. Yeah. There needs to be budget line items. If you're not addressing this on an annual basis, you're going to get yourself behind the eight ball. And you're going to be caught off guard. If your IT is not being managed properly or maintained, let's say maintained at a proper level, because you don't have the budget, then your ED and your board need, really needs to talk about, okay, how do we change that? How do we manage that going forward? If there's no line item in the budget, then you're not really paying attention. 
Right, right. Yeah, that, that does speak volume. So definitely, as you guys are looking at doing your grants, this could be a grant you even get. So really think about that. You can definitely get funding too. And there's a lot more funding that I've been seeing out there as far as grants for yes. um, helping you build capacity for cybersecurity, right? So, and yes. I'm sure you've seen it too, right? Do you see a lot mm -hmm. of nonprofits getting grants for this type of work? Yes, uh, not just local and, and city governments that are nonprofits, but actually nonprofit organizations that um, are getting you know direct funding because they've added these line items in, into the budget. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So not just the capacity building grants, but they're getting added funding because they have these things in place. Aha. Like that. Awesome. Well, this has been great, Elvis. Thank you so much for coming on to the Grant Writing and Funding podcast and discussing this very serious um, subject and, and doing it with such a way that people won't panic or be in fear, right. but just to really understand, like, here's some steps that you can take. So um, thank you again. Once again, we'll be dropping all the show notes uh, with all of your links in the show notes. And um, I hope you have a wonderful evening. Thank you again for coming on the show. You too, Holly. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed this podcast episode today with Elvis Moreland. To get all of the show notes today, visit grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 296. And while you're over there, be sure to get on our wait list for our Freelance Grant Writer Academy, our 12-month program to help you take back your time and earn your first five to six figures of income as a freelance grant writer while you're also helping more nonprofits. Yay, yes. You're gonna be able to write more and more grants and help more causes around the world. You can also grab and join our free Hub Haven and get our free resources on our grants formula, our five-step checklist to start a freelance grant writing business, and so, so much more. And of course, you can find out more about our podcast episode sponsor, Blue Morning, and find out about their donor management, online fundraising, and volunteer management software. Once again, that's grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 296. And if you love this podcast episode, please do me a favor, subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating or review or both. We love to read all of the ratings and reviews that we see on our podcast and on the different podcast players. And we so appreciate them because the more that we get, it helps all the algorithms and all of the things so more people can find us and this free valuable resources that, that we have as our grant writing and funding podcast. All right. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.